0: Welcome to the Total Car Score podcast, bringing you the world of cars from inside the car. And now your hosts, Carl Brouwer, Lauren Fix, and Javier Mota.
1: Welcome back to the Total Car Score podcast. And can you believe it? This is episode number 10 already. How are you, Lauren?
0: I'm great. How are you?
1: Excellent. Here in Miami, we are getting another wave or another, I don't know what you call it about COVID, so things are going crazy, but safe here in Miami. What about you, Carl? You have other issues there. You have like the
2: fires really close where you are, right? Yeah, they're um, probably the closest I've had fires to me in a long time, but we are not in an evacuation order, but uh, basically the some of our neighbors are. People like one community over a bunch of people are, so yeah, it's a little scary.
1: I saw some people from uh, Karma, you know, the electric car, the, the headquarters are like just blocks away, it seems like, from what they have been posting in social media. At least the the smoke l- looks really, really close to that.
2: Yeah, Karma was clo- is close to where I used to live. Where I used to live up until early August was about two miles closer. I don't think that neighborhood has been evacuated either. But yeah, where I used to be and my commute to work and all when I was working at Cali Blue Book, it's all right on the border of the evacuation zone. I've got like another couple miles of buffer where I'm at now. So so far so good.
1: Yeah, I saw some uh posting also from a uh, nighthoid from uh he used to be at Jawer in New Jersey and now he's with Aston Martin in California and he said, Oh, we used to call this the fall, like changing the colors on the leaves and then in California it's fire season. It's it's really crazy and scary. I mean, I'm not making a joke of yeah. it, but it's it's really bad.
0: When we were we were there, uh, I think during the fires last year with Audi, and I actually got uh, my lungs burned. It took weeks for for So be careful, Carl. I mean, that's when you that's when a mask really can be your friend.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. There, there's now a reason to wear masks beyond COVID. If you're outside, is to is to keep your lungs from getting that stuff in it.
0: Yeah, it's it takes long time to heal.
2: Yeah,
1: it's really 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 well So anyway, when we were going to uh, talking about what we were going to talk about on this episode. Lawrence says we already talked about the Homer but like my idea for this podcast was what cars or nameplates or mo- new models have been labeled as the killer of fill in the blank so like the Homer itself from when we talked last week would never be killed i mean that car is indestructible and the nameplate and the legacy is indestructible but now it's been labeled to be the killer of fill in the blank again but we have had other examples like the the sky from um, what was it Saturn I thing and the, the twin model from uh, what was it Buick or Pontiac Pontiac that's the solstice was gonna supposed to kill the Miata it, it died Pontiac before it did that. so what what are you what do you think about all this uh, Lauren what what do you think is is the Hummer gonna kill anything
0: Well you know it's funny when they say that the I think the Hummer was designed to go after the cyber truck, but there's so many electric trucks coming out. And we've got Rivian, and everybody's fighting for that same space. But how big is that space? I mean, it's like, why are we all fighting for a space that's not going to be a huge draw? It reminds me of the Chevy Bolt EV. Everybody said, oh, when it comes to market, the price is going to be really low, which it is. It's going to kill the Tesla Model 3. And it is less expensive. And there's a dealer network. And you get loaner cars and all the goodies and everything you get with any car. Except for the fact is, they don't sell. So I mean, it's funny. So we we used to say, uh, "Oh wow, I wonder how how many Hummer or no, sorry, I wonder how many Bolt EVs we sold," and everyone would say. Both of them.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. What well, do you see uh, as a killer car? What is new now that, that that draws your attention? That says like, okay, this is gonna take the space of this other vehicle.
2: Well, I think with the Hummer, it's interesting because we know this truck movement has been going on on the EV side. So to me, it's not really about killing Tesla because no one's gonna do that. Uh, no one's gonna replace Tesla, but you might supplement Tesla's demand on the car side with a good executed, a well executed serious EV truck. And so I think that's why you're seeing this massive rush to fill that void because there isn't one right now. I mean, he's got his Cybertruck coming. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. And it's probably gonna be late because, well, everything from Tesla is always late, but it'll be here at some point. And I think whether it's Rivian or GMC and Hummer or Lordstown or Bollinger, all these other guys that are out there uh, scrambling to get their pure EV trucks on the market feel like we don't, we don't want to have to replace Tesla or be a Tesla killer. We can just be the truck EV brand before Tesla was a truck EV brand. And so that's the scramble that they're all trying to do. But yeah, there's a history, this history of, you know, Hey, this is going to be the killer of that. How many times you you guys both know how many BMW three series killers have there been? Oh yeah. That's another one. That's another one. They've been targeting, you know, every other brand has been targeting. And I think now it's a little more interesting. I think there are plenty of good alternatives for the BMW 3 Series, but for decades, everyone was trying to build the alternative, and nobody was really succeeding.
1: Well, I uh, actually, today, I I drove the G70 from Genesis, which is one of the competitors. And as as we, we know, Albert Biermann, who used to be the chief engineer for BMW M division back in Germany... He's now working in South Korea with the Hyundai Group, and he's in charge of the engineer and all the high-performance cars. And he's responsible for pretty much every engine and like every setup for the cars. And the G7 is a fa- fabulous car, I think, and that's one of the competitors. So maybe you were referring to that as one of the cars that was mentioned to be one of the three serious killers. And it's close. I don't know. Maybe they don't have an M division yet, Genesis, but... It's a pretty good car, by the way. I got a really bad flat tire today
2: <laughs> in the G70.
1: Yeah, I did. Uh, I I hit something on the road, and it's low-profile Michelin Pro Pilot tire, and uh, it just like hit. You know, like when you hit on a tire that soft spot on the wall that it's just like it goes a little crack, and then the whole thing goes gets destroyed. I hit that today. Yeah.
0: Oh. That left-hand side. Did you have to call a tow truck? I was
1: close enough to my house. I was like a, a mile away from my house and I stopped at the gas station. I look at it uh, underneath and I saw it was already destroyed. So, I mean, I just like left it there and we, we put the, the replacement tire on it. And that was it.
0: The one thing that kids aren't taught to do, how to change a flat That's tire.
1: surprising.
0: Make sure you teach people. It's so easy. There's so many people afraid of doing it. The key is, to jack it up in the right spot and make sure to use a block and make sure, you know, and put the parking brake on. Exactly, at least
1: parking brake.
0: Right, it's funny because there was somebody who, I I have to look it up online and maybe I can dig it up and post it on our Facebook page. There was someone who jacked up the new Corvette, the 2020 Corvette. They put it up on a lift, but they used the, not the frame, they used the body. And the lift went right through the body and destroyed the vehicle. Like Like you wouldn't look at it and go, Oh, we can fix that. No, this is like, who's going to tell the customer because somebody's going to get murdered, you know?
1: Yeah, one thing is to destroy a, a tire. One thing is to destroy the frame
2: of the car. Yeah, and it's scary how one can lead to the other if you don't know what yeah. you're doing.
1: Oh, absolutely. Really fast, really fast and really costly. So anyway, do you see the, let's go back to the the, the topic of the segment. Do you see the G70 as one? Not killer because nobody's going to kill the 3 Series. It's a fabulous car with a lot of history. But that's a good competitor, don't you think, Carl?
2: I do. I think that's a competitor and honestly in the last like 10 years there's been some real good companies, you know. I mean, I think the a, the A4 is extremely desirable at this point. So I I think that's another alternative to the 3 series, I think the C-Class. I mean, I think the reason the this 3 series was always so unique is because it had that driving dynamics and it, and those, that was very specific. And the A4 has been around forever and the C-Class has been around forever. But if you wanted to get something that was a, an interesting car to drive, plus had the luxury claims, the 3 Series was pretty hard to live up to by any other brand. Um, but now I feel like Mercedes has totally turned it up on the driving dynamics. Same thing with Audi. Um, and really even some of the Japanese companies, you know, I mean, I think the TLX, the newest TLX that just came out, redesigned, it's kind of, bigger than a three and closer to a five size wise but it's still priced like a three it really competes with the three series it drives extremely well and it's also very attractive and then the g70 is another one there's there's plenty of choices that may not be purely as driver oriented as the three series but they have so many good combination of features and they're almost as good Uh, and then you can of course get into the performance versions like the amg uh, c-class or the m m version of the three series and i think those two are very competitive i i I think i think the c-class has come a long way mercedes was always the bank vault you know company that built these great bank vault vehicles but they weren't necessarily fun to drive and in the last 10 plus years 15 years they've really integrated all that amg stuff and now they're great driving cars too they've really I i tell people Mercedes has come closer to BMW in the driving fun than BMW has come to Mercedes in like the bank vault, you know, this feeling of really solid engineering. And so to me, Mercedes right now is winning that war of covering more bases more effectively than BMW.
1: I agree with that. Yeah. And the other thing, Lauren, I was going to talk about is, you know, when the driving modes, when you put like sport, comfort, and all that, you, you now feel a true difference in, in those things. It used to be that you put sport and it was like nothing but now the computing the, the coding the software that goes into that really makes a big difference when you hit that button in, in one of those cars right
0: yeah absolutely you know it's funny that you see uh everyone's trying to do a performance model and if you're gonna do that i mean like bmw has m so i'm at the bmw test fest we'll talk about that in a little bit and you know, you get into an M5 or an M2 and you know, you're going to experience something that handles and performs on every level. And Mercedes has done that with AMG and Audi has done that with their RS lineup. I'm just a little disappointed on, on some of the the trim levels on these SUVs though. It's like sometimes they perform like a BMW X6M. I call it a man's car. And I won't, I, I don't know if you'll let me use off color language of what I describe. The X6MS, because I think it's an absolute beast and I love it. Uh <clears throat> but I will tell you that um, it is as masculine as a vehicle as you could describe cleanly. That's my clean version of what I say. I won't tell you the dirty version. Um but you know I think that that not every brand has stepped that up. You look at, for example, um a, a Q5, they'll do an S Q five. I want to see something different. It doesn't perform that much better. I look at it and I go, I don't see bigger flares. Okay, slightly bigger tires. No one else can tell that except for us. And I don't get in that vehicle and go, wow. I mean, I see the logo on the back and you pay the price at the bottom line. But I want to see a big change. I want to see a variation. Like we were all driving the, the GV80. They say they want to do a performance line. Please, I'm begging them. Do not give us a vehicle, call, the GV80 Sport. And you get in the thing and it's nothing different. It has to have that much more. If you want to run up against AMG, right. And you want to run it. BMW's always done a great job with that. And I love the Audis. And the, I have an RS5 and I love it. But it doesn't look as aggressive as it could look in comparison to the competition.
1: Yeah, well, in the next segment, you're gonna say wow, because Carl, I understand, has been driving the McLaren 765LT. I drove the GT recently too, so I think you're gonna say wow several times in the next segment. We'll be back. car score podcast with carl brower and lauren fix i'm carl as i was saying before we went to the break you've been driving some amazing cars lately one of your own and one from a mclaren tell us about both i guess
2: yeah it was pretty interesting for the first time since i've had my ford gt which is coming up on two years in january i uh, took it to a racetrack where you can really exercise a car like that to its full capabilities for the first time now i've driven the ford gt on a racetrack before, but it wasn't mine. It was a press car at the press launch. Uh, and I've driven my car and a press car fairly aggressively on on a public road in a safe way, of course, as you guys both know.
1: Yeah, I believe you.
2: <laughs> but I was able to drive it pretty aggressively. But this was the first time I could do you know, the kind of driving where you don't have to worry about people pulling out of a side road in front of you, uh, one of the local constabulary uh, finding you doing something you shouldn't do. So it's a whole different mindset when you're on a racetrack and having the GT there was was really fascinating, honestly, because the track is Big Willow, which I know really well, Willow Springs, north of Los Angeles. So that wasn't an issue. I didn't have to learn the track and I didn't really have to learn the car because I've driven it so much in the last two plus years. So in theory, it should have been the perfect track day. Well, then there's the third element. Uh, Lauren uh, knows about this too, which is you're driving around a car that's um, like a house, in terms of value, okay, it's worth much or more than most people's houses in most markets in this country, and you can get like track day insurance, and that adds a whole bunch more. That's a really expensive thing because you never tell it. them what you need yeah. the car insured for, and then you're going to have it on a track for you know anywhere from four to five hours, and you're going to pay a lot of money for one day's worth of insurance. So now a lot of people be like. Well, Yeah, and a lot of people are like, well, then you gotta get insured though if it's worth that much. And it's like, yeah, but then you're gonna spend literally like thousands and thousands of dollars for four hours. It's like a thousand dollars an hour so that you can have the car insured. So the other option is to just not wreck it. Now, you know, again, all three of us have been on tracks and we've had enough experiences with not just our own, but other people who've been on tracks and we've been at events. You can always say don't wreck it, but at the end of the day, when you're doing high speed, high velocity things, even on a racetrack where you hopefully don't have idiots, you know, in cross traffic coming across or idiot drivers that run into you like they do in the public roads all the time. There's still a a component of risk. There's still an element of risk, no matter what. Yeah. Maybe you, maybe a tire fails. That was no fault of your own at, at a high speed. You know, maybe someone else dropped oil on the previous lap before you, but they didn't know. And you didn't know, you know, there's a million things that can still go wrong. And there's something that a lot of drivers know, which is called reserve driving a car with a lot of reserve. That means that you don't drive it on the edge of its capabilities. You drive it with some reserve left over. So if something goes wrong, a tire blows, you hit an oil slick, you're not already at the edge of the car's capability. And now you're over and past the edge because something unexpected happened. But of course, if you're driving it with reserve, you're not getting the most out of the car. Well, having the car up at Big Willow was was fascinating again. I'd say it was about 60, 40. 60 or 40% of the time, I was really enjoying myself. And 60% of the time, I was feeling lots of stress and you get, I get these brief moments where I'm, you know, hitting the apex and coming out of the turn. Uh, and that's always the easy part. Once you've hit the apex, you guys know, then you're just exiting the turn and you can roll into the problem. And you do that in a Ford GT and you're like, oh my gosh, this thing's a beast. You know, you're coming out of the corner with all that that uh, power that the thing's got and the, and the steering feel and the precision, and it's amazing. But then you're going through turns eight and nine, which is a decreasing radius, high speed turn on big willow turn nine. And it's a notorious turn. Lots of people have crashed there. Because so if you don't know how to get through that turn properly, you crash. Well, I, I do know. So I didn't crash. But I had to think about that every time. Decreasing radius, turn nine. The legendary and not for a good reason, turn nine. Here we go. You know, every time you go through that turn. So it's just, it wasn't as, it honestly wasn't as enjoyable as I thought it would be. It still was enjoyable. I'm still very glad I did it. But it I kind of came to the conclusion, it's like, you know, Forget about like, you know, all the capabilities this car has when it's, it's, it's sad. I mean, by the way, I'm the only one I know personally who has tracked his Ford GT. Most people don't even take them to the track. Have you had yours on the track, Lauren?
0: I have. I had mine on the track last year, not this past summer, the summer before at Pitt Race in Pittsburgh. Uh, I was there for the Shelby convention. Oh my God. I put hundreds of miles on everybody wanted to ride. As soon as you pulled in, someone got out. And then my daughter wanted to drive it. It was like, Oh my God, this is crazy, yeah. you know.
2: So you and I have both tracked our four GTs. We have to be in the extreme exclusive club because, you know, they're gonna make thirteen hundred and fifty of these. I think they've delivered about seven or so hundred so far, maybe even eight hundred they're well past halfway on the production. I would be surprised. I would state this with fairly good confidence. There's no way a hundred or more cars have been on the track. I would bet that of the 800, 7, 800 that have been delivered, I would be willing to bet that less than 75 have ever been on a racetrack.
0: Oh, I believe that.
1: Also, because aside from the risk of what you just described, that anything can happen on the racetrack, not because of your fault or the car's fault, but the value of the car when you put more miles on it on extreme conditions will start to go down. Is that true?
2: Yeah, that's the other thing too. is in theory, people don't want a car that's been tracked, certainly not as much as a car that has not been tracked. So you take the track experience and the mileage it takes to get to and from the track. I mean, in that single day driving from South Orange County to Willow Springs and back and on the track, I put about three hundred plus miles on the car in one day. so and and again, a lot of people don't have 300 miles total on their four GTs that have been delivered because that you know, that that also pulls the value down. But I think Lauren and I agree. You, you know, you don't, I don't want to be on my deathbed saying, "Thank God I didn't drive my four GT too much," because that's not what I'm going to be saying on my deathbed. I'm going to be saying, "What an idiot I was! I had a four GT and I stuck it under under bubble wrap because I didn't want the value to go down." That's exactly what people who are doing that. Get to face on their deathbed so welcome to it guys I'm not going to be there with you
0: no I'm with you my father used to say those who live with the most toys wins not those who die with the most toys wins. right so right. yeah and and he and he played right to the end trust me he was uh just like you and I just you know get out there and he had Ferraris and BMWs and such so it used to be fun to go out there but I have to say uh yeah i drive the car every day i go to cars and coffee we have a huge exotics group in the western new york area i take it to everything i took it to a fall drive we took it we take it to cruise nights we take it everywhere thing is i can't leave it anywhere because that's the only problem with a car like that because the moment you walk away 50 people are all over it and they're touching it you know
2: yeah yeah Uh,
1: actually what you were talking about carl you want to die thinking that you didn't drive your car hard I'm actually reading this book, Die With Zero. So like, obviously make your money, make, buy your stuff, travel the world, all that. But then like, enjoy it. Like, like people just save or buy, accumulate things and they don't enjoy it. They worry more about that process of getting the stuff, but don't enjoy it. So you're doing the right thing according to this book by Bill Perkins, which is, I, I highly recommend. It's a little bit repetitive. It gives a, a lot of examples of the same thing. But that's basically like you, you sum up the book in like a minute, basically.
2: Yeah, well, and you know, I can give you the extreme short version of a former business partner I had, but he had two Ford GTs, both of them under 400 miles on the odometer because he literally had an OCD problem. It wasn't just like a joke thing. No, he like clinically had it and he was so concerned about something happening to them. And he had both these two 2006 Ford GTs, red, white stripes, fully loaded, beautiful cars both of them less than 400 miles. One had 180, one had like 300 and some. And he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and seven weeks later he was gone. Now, before that happened, I already had 10 10 plus, 15,000 plus miles on my car. And he'd see me drive my car all the time. And he had his first one. And then he was like, you know, I can't handle driving this thing. I'm gonna get a second one and it'll be my driver. Mm -hmm. And then he went and bought the one with 300 and some miles instead of his that had less than 200. And then he got worried about that one's condition too. And when, he, when that happened to him, it was like, you know, Carl, you already knew you were doing it right, but God, maybe he just wanted to, just in case you had any wondering, any question in your mind, Carl, you're doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> you had this time example in front of you of someone who wasn't doing it right. He died seven weeks after diagnosis of pancreatic cancer with not one, but two sub 500 mile Ford GTs in his garage.
0: And the worst part is the family doesn't know what to do with them. Right. That's the problem. Yeah.
2: And then they're just sitting there and yeah,
1: that's that's very sad in all aspects for the family, for him, obviously, and for the cars that weren't enjoyed as they were supposed to be. And actually about uh, going back to what hap- can happen on a racetrack, when I last year or the year before, I, I lost track of time already without this no traveling thing, but... Uh, I was within one month at two track events with Mercedes-AMG, one in Germany and one at the Circuit of the American Austin where two cars were total. One, because the, the format that we sometimes test these cars is like lead follow. So we have a professional driver in the front and three cars behind it. So what happens, and in this case, they had two groups. So when the group one started and then went half of the way through the track, group two started their own lap but then the car number three from group one was lagging behind lagging behind so they radio the driver of that car i won't mention names um and they tell can you please catch up with us because group two is catching up to you and you're slowing down everybody so the driver of car three in group one tried to catch up and right at the last corner she couldn't handle it. I I gave some information
0: (laughs) You gave away I I know who it is now. So
1: the driver in car three group one lost it and hit the wall and destroyed the car. And the worst part about it was like everybody was there everybody's sorry. But anyway, on the other event. No one wants
0: to be that person. Exactly. Nobody wants to be that person. Well,
1: even worse. In this case, I think it was a little bit of shared responsibility. Ultimately, you're behind the wheel and you're responsible, right? But if the person is trying to go at their own, like Carl was saying, don't drive beyond your limits or like drive with reserve for the car and for yourself. And when the driver starts to catch up because it's pressure from the other group, so there's a little bit of pressure factor in there. On the other case, we were in Circuit of the Americas. It had been raining. It stopped. The car has um, a drift mode, driving mode. And they told us, please don't touch that. The track is wet. Of course, this person put that on and crashed it on the last turn again and destroyed the car. Same person? No, no, no. Different person. Two AMG cars within three weeks that I witnessed destroy the trucks. It was Jeez, crazy. You
0: sound like me. <laughs> I, saw, I saw a person wreck. A, I know I, there is a person who used to write, but it no longer is around. And you know who this is, too, probably, too wrecked a bmw m3 into the bridge at road america and the following weekend i'm at summit point we're all waiting to get into the viper acr and i tried to be first in line and i that person got in front of me i was so mad so I thought, all right fine i'll wait i'll be second because i know this person had wrecked the week before and he went out there and wrecked the viper on the first lap cold tires with an instructor in the passenger seat of course i told person at fca said you know that person worked a car last weekend too and that was the last time we ever saw them
2: yeah yeah you guys you guys know what the only thing worse than crashing a car at a press event and dying is yeah what crashing a pre- car at a press event and not dying <laughs> know.
0: exactly that is so true you, oh my
2: god you I you never, take yourself out I you, don't have to face, you don't have to face anyone if you just take yourself out but yeah. if you crash the car and don't kill yourself in the process that's the worst
1: Okay, I have one more last example before the end of this segment and then talk about something else. We were in Vegas with Lamborghini where they flew us up in helicopters to the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And there was this particular journalist, very young, like probably the first time he was in one of these events. He was very anxious. He was like number one. and like went out to get his helmet and all that. He went in the first car and in the first turn, he like "Mm -hmm," lost control and put the car in the gravel. (laughs) They they pulled him out like almost (laughs) like a little puppy with a little choke leads and say like you're done you're not driving anymore so again you don't want to be there and uh, as Carl said you don't want to survive either
0: <laughs> well that's the problem i've wrecked a, we'll just say i've wrecked a car before and we'll leave it at that but uh the first, the worst thing you don't want to do is have that conversation with anybody exactly. because it's like you just want to crawl under a rock and being a woman in this business, oh, I you don't want to be that person. Well, and so. again,
2: as we said at the start of this thing, anything can happen on a racetrack. So you know, all of us joke about it, but we all know that in theory, any one of us could be one of those one of those people. And I I have one car that I've wrecked on the track too. That was 16 years ago. But that's the thing: if you've wrecked a car on the track in the history of all the cars and all the tracks that we drive, that's one thing if you've wrecked a bunch of cars if you have a history if you have a recurring thing like wrecking uh you know a BMW and a viper within a 2 week period or whatever that's that's bad that's when it's like okay now you're not even learning you're just you're either not skilled or you have a bad attitude or both
0: we call that red mist yeah
1: oh yeah you don't want to be that guy but you want to be that guy in the next segment when carl talks about finally about the McLaren, because we were supposed to talk about that in this segment where we didn't. So we'll be back with that. We are back for the last segment of the 10th episode for the Total Car Score podcast. So congratulations to all of us for 10 podcasts so far. I hope uh, we can do many, many more of these. So, Carl, again, let's try this again. You drove the McLaren 765LT. Talk about that one now, please.
2: Yeah. Well, that's what I just got back from doing all day today. So I'm still fresh on the memory of that. And I took it to my favorite road here, which is a bit of a haul from where I live, but it, it's worth it when I have special cars like a 488 Ferrari a couple of years ago I took here. I've taken my 4 GT down there twice, and I took a 765 LT uh, McLaren down there today. And it's uh, Palomar Mountain, which is kind of east, northeast of San Diego, uh, south, good, good south uh, east uh, chunk from where I live but it's worth it because um, the road up and down the side of that mountain is really amazing. Uh, it's got, it's, it's kind of tight. If you have, if you're looking for high speed sweepers, it's too tight for that, but it's, if you've got a car, that's really nimble, like a Ferrari 488 or a 4 GT or a 765 LT, it's almost the perfect road. And I drove the 765 down there. And this is remember a more track oriented version of the McLaren 720 S and the 720 S it's not like a slow car. When you think about it, it's like, okay, let's take the 20s and add horsepower and pull weight. It's like, yeah, that's good because the you know, 720S, it's, not, it's pretty slow and fat and heavy. No, that's not true at all. The 720S is one of the most capable production cars you can buy right now, even though it's technically supposed to be more kind of grand touring oriented. The 765 LT is the track oriented version of the 720S and it weighs less, 176 pounds less, and it's got 45 more horsepower. And just to make sure you understand, if you order the car, it by default has no air conditioning or no audio system, and its curb weight is 2,709 pounds, which all, all of you guys both know, but anyone who knows performance cars, that's an amazingly light car in today's world. Now, for no cost you can have the air conditioning and the audio system added back in pretty much everyone does the test car i had did have those added back in but i'm still betting that car weighs no way more than 2900 pounds it's probably like 2850 2850 pounds that's still incredibly light and so you take that and then you have 755 horsepower powering this car that weighs around 2800 pounds 2850 And it's supposed to do zero to 60 in like 2.7 seconds. And it's supposed to have crazy numbers for like up to 124 miles per hour. Um, Braking from 124 down to zero, it's um, 26 feet shorter than the McLaren Senna. And anyone who knows McLaren knows that's their like super over the top track oriented car. And this thing stops 26 feet shorter. So it's a very capable car. And I was just wondering, okay, so it's going to be capable, but how abusive and, and kind of raw is it going to be to ride in? And really, it's, it's not bad. Uh, I think if you were on bad roads with like really bad potholes and stuff, which sadly more and more of this country seems to have, I think it would get old quick. But most of the roads I drove today were in relatively or very good shape. And I think that alone made it fine. I didn't feel like I was being beat up at all. The only other thing is that it's more rigidly mounted. It's a mid-mounted 4-liter twin-turbo V8, and it's more rigidly mounted than in the 720, which means it's transmitting more of the engine's activity into the rest of the car. Like, there is no damper between the engine and, like, the the uh, passenger cell where you sit. And as a result, you're feeling every vibration of that engine. And it was a little... More buzzy than I'd like. The car is fast; it just it just rockets out of uh, turns when you roll on the throttle. It's got these Pirelli P Zero P Zero Trofeo custom made tires that Pirelli made specifically for this car, and the grip it offers is un- unbelievable. So the lateral G's, the ability to shoot out of corners, the braking capabilities, all of those things are amazing in the car. But it did feel a little more buzzy, and I think part of it is because when you have such a small displacement, to me, four liters divided by eight cylinders just seems like each cylinder is going to be small and that's going to lead to kind of a little more buzziness. Very European. That's what Europeans do. They build eight cylinders, but they don't have very much displacement. My four GT, by comparison, as an example, it's only a V6, but it's 3.5 liters. So it's only got half a liter less total displacement and it's got two less cylinders, meaning each cylinder in the four GT is much bigger than the each cylinder in the McLaren. And that would probably be the only demerit that I would give it is that it was just there'd be certain frequencies, resonant frequencies that engine would hit and there'd be a buzz that would travel both through the engine and then it would cause things in the cabin to buzz like panels in the in the cabin would be buzzing and stuff like that. So if it was just a little less buzzy uh, in every sense of that word, it would have kind of been the perfect car. But that's a relatively small, if you're looking for one of the most capable vehicles you can buy that still is legal to drive on the street and has a license plate, um, I mean, I think this car would fairly effectively pull away from, my own ford gt if both of them were driven on a racetrack with equal talent of drivers i think it, it's a it's a very capable car
1: really interesting comparison because obviously you just talk about two really amazing cars like the gt and the mclaren i drove the gt the mclaren gt recently and that's like a much more civilized quote-unquote car so you can really live with it every day but again it's it's you were saying it's like these cars are like 250000 plus uh, uh, price tag. So, I mean, at least I didn't feel that comfortable all the time. I mean, it's an amazing piece of machinery and all that. And the other thing you were talking about, how they like trying to do too much, maybe with the resources they have with engines and, and chassis and all that. And maybe, I don't know, it's, it's McLaren trying to do too much because I think they have like over 31 variants now of, of cars on the same, pretty much the same platform, right?
2: Yeah, I think if there's a mistake that McLaren's making is that they're spinning off new variants, like you just said, Javier, too often. And I think I've actually heard this feedback through friends and friends of friends who are in the McLarens and all, which is that it's starting to annoy the owners, right? When when the new hot McLaren comes out and you go buy it as an owner, and then that one's been replaced in anywhere from you know 14 to 18 months with the next new hot one, you start to wonder, well, why am I, Rushing out to buy these, they're starting to become like iPhones, really expensive iPhones. You know, the 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 765 LT that I had, it started at like three hundred and fifty three thousand, and the way mine was equipped, my test car was four hundred and twenty eight thousand dollars. And and everyone knows that the McLarens, there's two things that anyone being honest is going to say about McLaren. There's they're maybe not quite as dependable. They are known to have kind of issues. You know, engine lights coming on and issues with with various things and all. Not never like major things usually, but oftentimes annoying little things and they lose their value very quickly they just drop in in value so to go out and buy the newest hot mclaren and pay full msrp or more when there's big demand you're going to take a bath financially the car is going to lose a lot of value in the first two to three years and you know people say well every car loses value yeah not but every not a, a
0: supercar that's a whole other
2: animal yeah we have a three thousand dollar car and it drops to 20 you've lost 20 grand when you have a four hundred thousand dollar supercar and it drops to 250 you've lost one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in two or three years depending on which car and what happens so and ours don't do that right uh no lauren our cars didn't drop in value they actually went up in value from what we paid for.
0: this weekend they, do, they went up in value an auction happened and i was very happy when a friend called me. See, we watch the auction values on your cars. When you are really into it, you are probably up on watching like Haggerty, uh, and, and you watch all the auctions and you look to see what's going on. If you're going to buy a car for resale value and before you buy a McLaren, and I will be totally honest with you, every friend I know that has a McLaren is selling their McLaren. And I know the dealer out of Illinois and he won't deliver a car unless there's a representative there from McLaren to make sure the car is perfect. Because as a hand-built car, they're fabulous. But when they became production cars, and like you said, they're splitting hairs, trying to make variants and variants of variants. What they've done is they've produced a car that looks amazing, but has a lot of issues. Uh, We, As I said, I'm part of this exotics car group, and we were going for a cruise, and brand new McLaren. It didn't even have a 1,000 miles on it yet. Windshield cracked for no reason, just sitting there. It didn't hit a bump. no it was no it stone. It just cracked. He called the dealer and the dealer said, yeah, we'll, we'll come pick it up. So they did. And it was gone for weeks. And he, he had to send it to New Jersey. Couldn't send it across the border to Canada, which he typically would because of COVID. And they had the vehicle gone for weeks. They brought it back with a new windshield. And he's like, this is not the original windshield. And when you have any car that's like A collectible, even if it's a Shelby GT500 or a special edition Corvette, whatever it is, it's only original once. The paint is original. The glass is original. Things are only original once. And part of keeping a car for resale value to make it an investment is trying to keep it as original as possible but still enjoying it. Carl drives this car. You drove your last car. How many miles did you have on your '05 five GT?
2: I put 31,000 miles in 13 years on that car.
0: That's a lot of miles on a (laughs) supercar. That's a great.
2: Yeah. And I still made money on it. And I still made money after 13 years and 31,000 miles on it. But, but yeah, that's not easy to do. You got to pick the right car. And that windshield thing on the McLarens, Lauren, I've heard that from multiple other people. I've heard that. Wiring problems too. Tons
0: of electrical problems. And
2: And then electrical.
0: And it's not Italian. If it was Italian, you'd say, okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But McLaren came up like what? Like uh, a little bit over 10 years as an independent uh, car manufacturer.
2: About about eight years ago. About 2012 is when they introduced that uh, MP412C. Yeah,
1: exactly. But they had to be that aggressive because they were coming out after Ferrari. I By the way, I drove the new Ferrari Roma very briefly a couple, uh, couple of weeks ago. But well, they have to be that aggressive because Ferrari had the history of not really being that welcoming to new customers, even though if you right. would have the money. And that's what McLaren came out with, because McLaren, uh, Ferrari will only sell you a new car if you had have, have previously owned more than one. <laughs> so I think that's why McLaren came out with this aggressive. Um, strat- uh, strategy to like sell cars as many as you can with different variants, try to please everybody. And maybe that is the problem.
2: Yeah. I think that's part of it. I think they, they, the cars are technically very capable and very advanced. It, they're they're basically a high tech company and they're very popular with tech people like the Silicon Valley types, you know, the sub 40 year old wealthy uh, people who are into technology that's mclaren's target they're kind of basically like you could think of them as like the supercar tesla you know teslas that are supercars is what who mclaren's tries it to be and they're very capable and i just again what i was doing on palomar mountain road on a public road in a in a car that was not a race car but a publicly legal car to drive it almost felt like cheating and it was funny there were a couple of guys there with gt500s with track packages that i'd met down there and it wasn't even. I mean, it was funny. It was it shouldn't have been funny, but it was funny when they tried to like chase me up the up the mountain. I just depends was, who the no, driver is, cheating. Charles.
0: If I was behind you, I would have caught you in my GT five hundred. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm telling you. I mean, one of these guys is really good. I mean, he's been out at the racetrack and all in his GT five hundred and in his uh, Corvette C eight, and he he can drive. And he was just like. Yeah. I, you know, I was, I, I was asking him afterwards. I was like, so were you trying or you just didn't want to get too close to me? He's like, no, no, I was trying. I, uh, there's no way to keep up with that car. <laughs> so, so but the, your
0: GT is a better car. I think
2: the GT, be, G- the GT would be very interesting. And again, if I were going to compare the two, both of them have, you can tell the super stiff chassis, the incredibly good steering feel, very good brakes where the, mclaren has the advantages that it's probably about 200 pounds lighter it probably weighs yeah a good 200 pounds less than my ford gt and it has more power it's rated at 755 and my car's rated at 647 so what's it's got the weight though horsepower.
0: so it's horsepower to weight ratio is a big factor as well
2: yeah yeah so that's you know if you if you had both those cars on a track and you were doing lap times you know now again what's interesting though is that the gt the way that the gt makes power with that larger displacement v6 in my mind is more rewarding it's uh, it makes a better sound and it's so funny everyone yells about the 4gt having a v8 and then or having a v6 and then the mclarens have v8 so no one says anything that v8's buzzy it doesn't make it doesn't make a terrible sound but i don't think it sounds better i think it sounds a little worse than the 4gt and then there's just again i'm not in i don't like small displacement engines that's that spin and buzz i like big displacement engines that don't have to spin because i got more torque because there's more Mm
1: -hmm. Yep, I'm with you. So, Lauren, you're also you're also at the racetrack, right? This uh, week, uh, maybe not as powerful or expensive cars, but pretty well, I don't know. Too. We get
0: some pretty expensive cars. Uh, I'm here at a BMW uh, test event, so uh, once a year, sometimes twice a year, BMW will bring us out to show us their newest, coolest, hottest vehicles. And the first vehicle that they they want to really showcase to us was the new enhanced BMW Five Series in the M5. So that's pretty cool, and it's obviously redesigned. It has a larger screen that doesn't make it more performance-oriented, but it does have a 48-volt architecture, which makes it almost like a mild hybrid. So they're giving you the hybrid boost for the 540 models, and, of course, you can get the plug-in versions. Uh, and it's going to change the horsepower rating, not dramatically, but enough that it, it feels more, I hate to use this word, but zippy might be the word. <laughs> um so that's one of them, but then they get into this expensive car. And this is where if you've got unlimited cash and you're thinking, I want an SUV, you think, okay, Bentley, maybe a Lamborghini Oris. I don't know, there's a million cars. Well, BMW says, Well, hold on. We have the Alpina XB seven. So I'll be driving that. I'll have a review posted on uh, very soon. But it really they're claiming it's superior driving experience, outstanding delivery, hundred and forty one thousand dollars plus nine options and that's a lot of money for a daily driver but i mean of course it's nothing but the best and the ultimate of anything you can think of luxury it's very much along those lines of i have a bentley i have you know a rolls it's very except this thing can actually have some performance to it uh, and then in addition to that you know of course it competes with uh the land rover range Rover autobiography the long wheelbase the mercedes-benz mybach the gls 600 uh, and the Audi RS Q8, which I really love that car. I just it's just so sexy. Uh, and the Porsche Cayenne Turbo, and I own a Porsche Cayenne, so it's I'm gonna be a little biased. So I'm, but I will give you the honest truth. I, I think it's gonna be an amazing piece as far as fit and finish and quality. And that's really what Alpina is about nothing but the best of the best from the BMW lineup. So there's a lot of Rolls type of hand built components in that. And the one thing I know, Carl and I would love 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 to play around with is the new 2020 bmw m2 cs so it's a. I want to play too (laughs) yeah you want to play too (laughs) on the track come come play with us uh zero to sixty three point eight seconds four hundred and forty four horsepower with four hundred and six pound feet of torque top speed of 174 because you know that that's mechanically stopped because otherwise we'd be maxing it out on the track never on the street but it's got the adaptive M suspension, the big M brakes. Of course, they're red. It's ceramic brakes, 19-inch alloy wheels, modified exhaust. But, like, everything's carbon. Like, the carbon list is crazy. The roof is carbon. The spoiler's a carbon. The engine hood is carbon. The front spoiler, the rear diffuser, the mirror caps, the center console, the door handle cover, the steering shifter. It's like, okay, they want to look carbon crazy, but... This is going to be a blast to drive. Now, they're coming in later this month of November, $83,000. They're going to sell the heck out of these things. Now, that may seem like a lot of money for the average person, but people that buy these cars are putting them on the track. They're absolutely driving these things. They're not on the street, fine, but on the track, absolutely.
1: Well, uh, once again, we went uh, a little bit off script, but I think it was a very interesting conversation, like always, with you two. So looking forward for those reviews and lauren uh obviously you will check out your youtube channel and carl you you're like relaunching or like doing something new on youtube too
2: yeah motor pro media is the channel that we've got going now we've added a couple uh videos there'll be a, the mclaren one will be up there for the 765 lt hopefully in the next week or so and uh yeah that's just one of the many things that I'm i'm doing right now besides this podcast and some other stuff but yeah having some fun on youtube
0: car i'm car coach reports are pretty easy to find but we're all going to get together soon uh more events more driving uh i know that uh, you're going to get to go to the hyundai n-line i am quarantined in new york state
1: that's too bad i
0: have fun without me (laughs) okay
1: we will but and we will talk again with you two next week so thank you very much again and see you soon
0: thank you for listening For more, check us out online at TotalCarscore.com.